Pastor Xavier Reese and coming before God with an open heart. It's always important that we acknowledge our error before God. God honors genuine repentance. God will not bargain with our sin. He accepts confession and nothing short of confession. And when there is true confession, there is true repentance. And when there's true repentance, there's a true renewing and a, and a work of God within the heart of the individual. Welcome to Simple Truths, the daily half-hour study of God's Word with Xavier Reese, Senior Pastor of Calvary Chapel of Pasadena, California. We find this revealing passage in the book of Psalms, chapter 90, verse 8. You have set our iniquities before you, our secret sins in the light of your presence. And today, as Pastor Xavier continues his Old Testament verse-by-verse study in the book of Second Chronicles, he brings to light the danger of so-called secret sins. And he reminds us that all of our actions of disobedience will have an impact on more than just the person in the mirror. Turn to the book of Second Chronicles, chapter 27, for today's simple truths. Chapter 27, Jothan was 25 years old when he began became king. He reigned 16 years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was uh, Jerusha, the daughter of Zadok, and he did that which was right in the sight of the Lord, according to all of his father Uzziah had done, although he did not enter the temple of the Lord, but still the people acted corruptly. Now we see that here his son, he would not enter the temple. We are not told why, but maybe he just felt that maybe God would strike him. And we see that no man sins to himself. There are consequences. When we're young, we think that, you know, what I do with my life is nobody's business. When we're older, we think that also sometimes. And you usually hear the response, well, I'm not hurting anybody. But who in the world lives unto himself or herself? You get involved sexually when you're young. You think you're not going to be sinning against the mate you're going to marry? You think it's not going to affect you? You think it's not going to have repercussions? You better believe it will. Do you think you can make some decision apart from the Lord and it's not going to affect your family? Sure it will. No one is an island. We're all interconnected. We all are interrelated. We all affect one another. And we need to be aware of that, that we walk in the fear of God. And so his son, for whatever reason, he would not enter the temple, and the people still acted corruptly. He built the upper gates, the wall of Ophel. He built cities, in verse 4, fortresses. He also fought with the king of the Ammonites and defeated them, in verse 5. They gave him a hundred talents of silver, barley. They paid him a mound, the second and the third year also, so they were under tribute. And so Jotham became mighty because he prepared his way before the Lord, his God. The rest of Acts of Jotham, they're written in the books of kings of Israel and of Judah. And he was 25 years old when he became king, and he reigned 16 years in Jerusalem. So Jotham rested with his fathers, and they buried him in the city of David. Then Ahaz, his son, reigned in his place. Now this guy was really bad. Not the worst, but bad. Ahaz was 20 years old when he became king. He reigned 16 years in Jerusalem. He did not do what was right in the sight of the Lord, as his father David had done. 
For he walked in the ways of the kings of Israel, the northern kingdom, and made molten images for the Baals, and he burned incense in the valley of the sons of Hinnom, and he burned his children in the fire according to the abomination of the nations whom the Lord had cast out before the children of Israel. And he sacrificed and burned incense on the high places and on the hills under every green tree. These were the pagan practices that had polluted the people of the land to such an extent that when God told Moses to enter the land, he said that he was going to destroy all the people of the land. Now, some people have a very difficult time with that command by God. But you remember when God gave Abraham that vision and he told him that they would be in bondage for 400 years in Egypt because the abomination of the Amorites was not fully yet come. We don't know how, but in a way that we do not have recorded, God had warned the people of the land, the Amorites, the Jebusites, all of them. And he gave them a time to repent. That is the reason why God put the children of Israel in Egypt for 400 years. Because the abomination of the Amorites was not fully come. At the end of those years, God said, that's it. Your time is up to repent. Even as he gave 120 years to the people in Noah's days. Even as he has given so far 1950 some years for people to repent in the age of grace. God does give in a lot of time. And after that, judgment comes. And the people of the land had polluted themselves to such an extent that God knew that they would ultimately destroy themselves. I think that our nation is a classic example. You look at the American nation. We're a baby. And yet, if we keep on going in the same ratio, at the same speed, it won't take very long before we will destroy our very nation from within. It won't be long. And so some people have a difficult time with God's edict of destroying all the inhabitants of the land. But it would be like having a rabbit dog in your front yard and you have your son or your daughter there on the lawn and you've got a gun. Now you've got one of two choices. You can get very emotional and say, well, I don't want to shoot the dog. Or you can shoot him because if you don't, He's going to contaminate your child. The dog is going to ultimately die. That's why God says when you go in the land, destroy all of their idols. Don't even inquire how they worship. Destroy them all. Because God knew if they inquired, they would themselves become contaminated. Here are the practices. He sacrifices children to Baal, to Molech. There would be gods of stone and of, of, of uh, iron with their arms extended straight out with the ends curled up. And they would heat them up red. And they would take their children and lay them on their arms burning red and sacrifice them as they would run around afflicting themselves and cutting themselves. You say, how barbaric. Let me paint you a modern day picture. A young lady goes into an abortion clinic. She lays herself on a table. Let me profess to you that we are sacrificing our children to the God of Molech today. 
no different. For the sake of what? Pleasure. Self. Individual rights. We really haven't come that far. We really haven't. They worship in the high places in verse 4 and in every green tree. These were the ashrams, the groves, where they would worship those gods with sexual rites and goddesses of fertility. We still worship them today. And therefore, verse 5 says, The Lord has God delivered him into the hand of the king of Syria. They defeated him, carried away a great multitude of them, captives. They brought them to Damascus. And then he was also delivered into the hand of the kings of Israel who defeated him with a great slaughter. For Pekah, the son of Remaliah, the uh, killed 120,000 of Judah in one day, all valiant men, because they had forsaken the Lord God of their father. I'll tell you, as I look at the history of the Old Testament, what God did to people that turned their back upon him, and I understand that we're in the age of grace. I'm not stupid. I understand that God is a God of love, but let's not push it off balance. It is not two gods that the Bible presents, a God of wrath of the Old Testament and a God of love in the New Testament. God's holiness demands his wrath. God cannot compromise with sin, and God's flip side of his love is his wrath, and the flip side of wrath is his love. And you cannot have one without the other. And if God does not judge the United States, even as Billy Graham said, he's going to have to apologize to Sodom and Gomorrah. Because there are heavy things going on in our nation, policies and things going on that are beyond anything that we could even imagine 25 years ago would be going on today. And so God, again, is just, he's righteous, and he settles all of his accounts one day. Now, verse 8, the children of Israel... They carried away captive their brethren, 200,000 women, sons, daughters. They took them away and their spoils. And they brought them to Samaria. And then in verse 9, as they returned, but a prophet of the Lord was there, whose name was Obed. And he went out before the army and came to Samaria. And he said to them, Look, because the Lord God of your father was angry with Judah, he has delivered them into your hand, and you have killed them in a rage that reaches up to heaven. And now... You propose to force the children of Judah and Jerusalem to be your male and your female slaves, but are you not also guilty before the Lord your God? Now hear me. Therefore, and return the captives whom you have taken captive from your brethren. So in other words, he's saying, listen, they're part of you. They're, they're of the same lineage. Don't put them to tribute. And so in verse 12, some of the heads of the children of Ephraim, Azariah, the son of um, Johanan, and the other guys that I can't pronounce, they all stood up against those who came from the war. And they said to them, You shall not bring the captives here, for we already have offended the Lord. You intend to add to our sins and to our guilt. And so, in verse 14, the armed men left the captives, the spoils. In verse 15, they clothed them, they fed them, they gave them drink, they put the feeble on donkeys to ride, and uh, they brought them to Jericho, and they gave them their liberty. And so we see judgment tempered with mercy by God. Verse 16 says, At the same time, King Ahaz sent to the king of Assyria to help him. For again, the Edomites had come and attacked Judah and carried away captives. The Philistines also had invaded the cities of the lowlands, the south of Judah. Uh, they took Beth Shemesh and a couple other cities there that are named. 
But verse 19 says, For the Lord brought Judah low because Ahaz king of Israel, for he had encouraged moral decline in Judah and had been continually unfaithful to the Lord. And so really these attacks were directly from the Lord. But notice that Ahaz now was trusting in the arm of flesh. He sent for help for the king of Assyria. And in verse 20, Tilgath-Penezer, king of Assyria, came to him, but instead of helping him, he distressed him and did not assist him. He took the money and he distressed him also. For Ahaz took part of the treasures from the house of the Lord, the house of the king, and from the leaders, and he gave them to the king of Assyria, but he did not help him. Now in that time of his distress, King Ahaz became increasingly unfaithful to the Lord. This is that King Ahaz. For he sacrificed to the gods of Damascus, which had defeated him, saying, Because the gods of the kings of Syria helped them, I will sacrifice to them, that they may help me. But they were the ruin of him and all of Israel. And so we see this continual repetition of going back to idolatry, embracing the gods who are no gods. David in the Psalm says they have eyes they cannot see, they have hands they can't handle, they have feet they can't walk. And therefore what happens is that the individual who worships such gods ends up becoming like their god. He becomes blind to spiritual truth, he becomes insensate to the spiritual voice of God, and he is just unable to dwell and to handle the life of the Spirit. He is given over to his own desires. Now Ahaz, in verse 24, gathered the articles of the house of God. He cut in pieces the articles of the house of God. He shut up the doors of the house of the Lord, and he made for himself altars of every corner in Jerusalem. He established pagan worship. Verse 25 at the end says, He provoked to anger the Lord God of his father. And then we get the record of the rest of the acts. They're written in the book of Judah and of Israel. And he rested, verse 27 says, and they did not bring him into the tombs of the kings of Israel. Then Hezekiah, his son, reigned in his place. Now Hezekiah was a good king. When he was 25 years old, and he reigned 25 years in Jerusalem, and he did what was right in the sight of the Lord according to all of his father David had done. In the first year of his reign, verse 3 says, in the first month he opened the doors of the house of the Lord, he repaired them, so he begins by the inner cleansing. He goes right to the heart of the matter, the worship of God. You know our problem so often is that when we start having problems in our life, we try to clean our act outside. We try to deal with the external issues when in fact we have to get to the heart of the matter. It's a spiritual issue. It's an issue of relationship with God that we have to get right. He goes right to the heart. He goes right to the temple. He brought in the priests and the Levites. He gathered them in the east corner in the square there. And he said, Now sanctify yourselves, sanctify the house of the Lord your God, your fathers, carry out the rubbish from the holy place, for our fathers have trespassed and done evil in the eyes of the Lord our God. They have forsaken him, they have turned their faces away from the habitation of the Lord and turned their backs on him. They have also shut up the doors of the vestibule, put out the lambs, and have not burned incense and offered burnt offerings in the holy place to God of Israel. Therefore, the wrath of the Lord fell upon Judah and Jerusalem, and he, was, he has given them up to trouble, to astonishment, to jeering, as you see with your eyes. And so he acknowledged the reason why God's judgment had come upon them. It's always important that we acknowledge our error before God. God honors genuine repentance. God will not bargain with our sin. He accepts confession 
and nothing short of confession. And when there is true confession, there is true repentance. And when there's true repentance, there's a true renewing and a, and a work of God within the heart of the individual. Such was the case of Hezekiah. He brought reform. He brought revival to the nation of Israel. At verse 15, he says, They gathered the brethren. They sanctified themselves. Verse 16, The priests went into the inner part of the house of the Lord to cleanse it. They cleared out all the debris. They took it out to the brook Kidron. And they cast it, it was the refuge, the rubbish of the city there, the dump. And verse 17 says, Now they began to sanctify on the first day of the first month and on the eighth day. So it was an eight-day cleansing and purifying rite that went on. And in verse 18, Then they went into the king, King Hezekiah, and said, We have cleansed all the house of the Lord, the altar of burnt offering, and all the articles, and the table of the showbread with all the articles. Moreover, all the articles which King Ahaz and his reign had cast aside in his transgression. We have prepared and sanctified, and there they are before the altar of the Lord. The inner sanctuary was cleansed. Worship could begin. Remember that. Unless the inner sanctuary of our heart is cleansed, there can never be any true worship. You may lift your hands to the Lord and sing with us, but if your heart or my heart, the inner sanctuary is not right there is no worship none at all because there's obstacles between us and god and those obstacles are wrong relationship sin and therefore we come before god and we make confession and we stay in a right relationship that we may be in an attitude of worship wherever we may be and so in verse 20 king hezekiah rose early and gathered the rulers of the city he went out to the house of the lord they brought seven bulls and seven rams they offered the sin offering for the sanctuary. And they offered the other offerings in verse 20. They sprinkled the blood on the altar. They went through the whole ritual. In verse 23, the sin offering, the congregation. They laid their hands on them so they can get right with God. In verse 24, they made atonement for all of Israel as the king commanded. And then in verse 25, then he stationed the Levites in the house of the Lord with cymbals and string instruments, with harps, according to the commandments of David, of Gad the king's seer, and Nathan the prophet, for thus was the commandments of the Lord by his prophets. And so the Levites stood with the instruments of David and the priests and the trumpets. Then Hezekiah commanded them to offer the burnt offering in the altar. And when the burnt offering began, the song of the Lord also began with the trumpet and with the instruments of David, king of Israel. And so the burnt offering was a total consecration and dedication to the Lord, totally consumed, a rededication to God. And so it was a tremendous day. In verse 36, King Hezekiah then, and all the people rejoiced with God that God had prepared the people since the events took place so suddenly. Notice that. God have prepared the people. It would be so easy to give Hezekiah the credit, and yet Hezekiah was but an instrument that God worked through. God prompted a man, God used a man to turn God's people around, just as God always does. His eyes go to and fro, looking for a man to show himself strong. And when God finds such a man, God begins a tremendous work. The problem is we look to the man and we give him glory instead of looking to God. It was God who had prepared the people since the events took place 
so suddenly. A work of God. How exciting. Chapter 30. And Hezekiah sent to all Israel and Judah and also wrote letters to Ephraim and Manasseh that they should come to the house of the Lord at Jerusalem. The northern kingdom had fallen by this time. Now he extends the invitation to those in the northern region that they might return back to God and flee the idolatrous worship that was established at Bethel and at Dan. So verse 6, the runners went throughout the territory of Israel and Judah. They gave the message. The children of Israel returned to the Lord God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. It says there in the middle of the verse 6, then he will return to the remnant of you who have escaped from the hand of king of Assyria. And do not be like your fathers and your brethren, the letter was saying, who trespassed against the Lord God of your fathers so that he gave them up to astonishment as you see. Now do not be stiff-necked as your fathers were, but yield yourself to the Lord and enter his sanctuary, which he has sanctified forever, and serve the Lord your God, that the fierceness of his wrath may turn away from you. So it was an open invitation to return to God, a true revival prompted by God. But notice that true revival always centers around prayer and the word of God. When people get serious with God and they begin to pray and they begin to give themselves to the word of God, God begins to move. God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. And yet God will not force any person. Nevertheless, verse 11 says, Some from Asher, Manasseh, Zebulun, humbled themselves and came to Jerusalem. Also the hand of God was on Judah to give them singleness of heart to do the commandments of the king and the leaders at the word of the Lord. And so the children of Israel who were present at Jerusalem kept the feast of unleavened bread seven days with great gladness. And the Levites and the priests praised the Lord day by day, singing to the Lord, accompanied by loud instruments. And Hezekiah gave encouragement to all the Levites who taught the good knowledge of the Lord. They ate throughout the feast of seven days, offering peace offerings, making confession to the Lord God of their fathers. And the whole assembly agreed to keep the feast another seven days, and they kept it those other seven days with gladness. Verse 25, the whole congregation of Judah rejoiced. Verse 26, so there were great joy in Jerusalem, for since the time of Solomon, the son of David, king of Israel, there had been nothing like this in Jerusalem. Then the priests, the Levites, arose and blessed the people, and their voice was heard, and their prayer came up to his holy dwelling place to heaven. It's exciting when people turn to the Word of God and they make a commitment to live in obedience of the Word of God. There is such a tremendous blessing, but there is also a tremendous opposition because it's a spiritual warfare that we fight. And if you have committed your heart to the Lord to be obedient to Him, to do as He instructs you, then expect warfare. But make sure that you put on the whole armor of God. God will not fail you. He will empower you with His might. He will give you wisdom. He will go before you. He will never allow you to be tested more than you're able, but with every testing, show you the way of escape. He's so good. And therefore, endure hardness as a good soldier, not entangling yourself in the affairs of the world, but knowing that Jesus has given us an example to follow His steps. It is possible. Jesus did it. Stephen did it, 
and therefore we can do it through the grace of God. Pastor Xavier Reese and the simple truths and power of prayer. Now today's message has been titled Second Chronicles chapters 25 through 30 and is available on CD for just $4. And by the way, we'll be able to include everything Pastor Xavier shared with us the last time we were together as well. The title to ask for is, once again, Second Chronicles chapters 25 through 30. Or you can simply mention today's date. You can request your copy by writing Simple Truths, 2200 East Colorado Boulevard, Pasadena, California, 91107. Or to make a request by phone, call 800-926-1485. Again, that's 800-926-1485. Or the address once again is Simple Truths, 2200 East Colorado Boulevard, Pasadena, California, 91107. And thanks for mentioning the call letters of this station when you get in touch. This helps us track the effectiveness of this ministry in your area. And then join us for more Simple Truths next time with Pastor Xavier Reese. Simple Truths with Pastor Xavier Reese, a daily half-hour broadcast, is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel of Pasadena, California. www.calvarychapelpasadena.com